In our last lecture, we looked at the onset of market reforms. In this lecture, we turn our attention to bureaucratic operations and configurations. The modern Chinese state has traditionally affected every major aspect of the domestic society. With the growing liberalization of the economy, coupled with an increasing complexity of social issues, there emerged a, a sort of a belief that the state is retreating from an array of social problems, from health to the environment. Yet, as we survey China's political landscape today, we see that not only is the central state playing an active role in managing social problems, but new state actors at the local level are increasingly seeking to partner with various non-governmental organizations or social associations to ensure the continuing presence, legitimacy, and viability of the state. In this context, in this lecture, we will examine how a corporatist understanding of state-society relations may be reconstituted in light of new social stakeholders emerging to the forefront, and thereafter play a greater role in managing contemporary social issues. Understanding state-society relations through a state-corporatist lens enables the observer to engage with the nuances of the state. This directs our attention to the changes that have occurred within the Chinese state structures vis-a-vis -vis society as a result of economic reforms. It is important for us to point out that corporatist arrangements, regardless of whether they are of an authoritarian nature or societal nature, do not define any political system anywhere. They are instead institutional mechanisms in the service of government and particular sectoral constituencies. Theories of state corporatism and its importance to economic development to post-war Europe have dominated the corporatist literature. Philip Schinter's 1974 seminal essay, Still the Century of Corporatism, saw to set out an operational definition of the term. Schinter saw that corporatist theory could explain patterns of organized interests, which would be compatible across the different political regimes that existed at the time. That is, from the liberal democracies of Europe to the authoritarian regimes of Portugal and Brazil. His essay aimed to delve deeper into the institutional structures rather than see it simply as a policy tool. Schimpter's off-quoted definition of corporatism endeavored to highlight the institutional structure and applicability across various regimes. Quote, Corporatism can be defined as a system of interest representation in which the constituent units are organized into a limited number of singular, compulsory, non-competitive, hierarchically ordered, and functionally differentiated categories, recognized or licensed if not created by the state, and granted a deliberate representational monopoly within their respective categories in exchange for observing certain controls on their selection of leaders and articulation of demands and supports. Based on this quote, we can see that Schimter believed that such a model and its institutions could either be enforced by the state or emerge voluntarily. Consequently, he distinguished between state corporatism and societal corporatism. He explained societal corporatism as the imperative necessity for a stable bourgeois dominant regime due to processes of concentration of ownership, competition between national economies, expansion of the role of public policy, and rationalization of decision-making within the state to associate or incorporate subordinate classes and status groups more closely within the political process. However, Schindler's argument for societal corporatism was criticized as general, 
not to mention speculative, and do not offer much of the specific operation of and power structures associated with societal corporatism. Beyond the development of an operational model of corporatism, Schimter's essay was also a response to interest politics, namely pluralism, that pervaded the political science discipline. Accordingly, the essay ventured into conceiving the representation of interests. As Williamson, for instance, aptly wrote, if pluralism was the competitive market system of pressure group activity, then corporatism was a state licensed monopoly. Nonetheless, Schimter's work sparked great interest within academia from the 1980s to find more empirical evidence to support corporatist theory. Moreover, such interest led to academic inquiries into the relationship between corporatism and in terms of corporatist institutional structures and related policy systems, as well as its difference to the pluralist system. In addition, there were attempts to establish links between the corporatist and macroeconomic development throughout the 1980s. As corporatism studies gained ground, authors sought to rethink corporatism at the meso level, as they believed the existing framework focused too much at the national level. By the 1990s, the ascendancy of neoliberalism led to the speculative sort of decline and demise of corporatism. Advancements in technology and the weakening of labor unions resulted in a gradual disembedding of state institutions from society. Perhaps the proclamation of corporatism's demise was premature given the traditional corporatist European states such as Italy, Portugal, and Spain had reinterpreted institutions and relationships to adjust to the new economic challenges of becoming integrated into the European monetary system. In order to meet such challenges, traditional European corporatist states had, had all implemented new social pacts based on peak level concentration. Here we saw state corporatist structures were in fact adaptable to the national, social, and economic conditions, which would be particularly relevant in our aims to understand China within such frameworks. The next distinction we need to make is between the developmental state and state corporatism. The development and economic success of East Asia can be viewed within a corporatist lens. However, corporatism within the East Asian context has moved into the notion of a developmental state, where the state has dominated industrialization and subsequently the majority of social actors have been co-opted to focus on this national goal. Societal corporatism occurred where social groups are brought closer to the political process by the state. Although what is observable in China is that certain conditions give rise to the situation where social organizations seek to be closer to the state. Thus, the theoretical constructs and empirical evidence of corporatism are not clearly the, this idea that corporatism is dead, especially when one considers China. But it can further develop if the focus is shifted to understanding the societal, economic, and political conditions. The industrialized process of China is inextricably linked and tied to the state's agenda, and has led to new dynamics in state-society relations. The last four decades in particular have seen the Chinese state reshape and transform itself as a result of economic reforms. Although the state has loosened its grip on most sectors of society, there is evidence to suggest that the state is by no means retreating from society. The state's relationship with newly emerging social organizations, from environment to women's groups, 
illustrate that the state is attempting to interpret and manage social change, and thereby reassert its dominance in a contemporary setting. Increasing concerns over the state's legitimacy has also led to the need to adapt, albeit with reluctance. For instance, instead of new elites such as entrepreneurs being proactive and influencing public affairs, the state is actually looking for new mechanisms to control the economy and society. Since the implementation of liberalization policies in the late 1970s, the state has relied less on coercive tools and propaganda in managing society and has instead developed linkages with social organizations, such as professional associations, to enable the state to streamline the interests of society along the lines of reform. With the state regulating social change through its control of social organizations, from non-governmental organizations to entrepreneurial associations, we see the manifestation of corporatism in practice. It is thus useful to employ the corporatist framework to understand the Chinese state's transformation and its relationship with society since it highlights the factors that have shaped the state. Nonetheless, the usefulness of the concept must be coupled with an awareness that the framework does not encompass all that is happening in China today. In a typical corporatist system, only one national organization per sector is recognized by the state. The state deems which organizations are legitimate, and as such, this relationship is unequal in suggesting that associational life is to a degree state-directed. An interventionist state often assists to organize and establish sectorial association and mediate the relationship between associations. However, within this mode of operation, some autonomy is allowed for the association. The state corporatist structure focuses on the emergence of associations, as do other frameworks, but it does not erode the power of the state. Rather, it is seen as moving from state control to indirect state coordination. This coordination can also be interpreted as a state monopoly of societal interests. The reinforcement of the state's power or coordination is in part related to the non-critical realm of civil society, that is, entrepreneurs and technocrats who have greater interest in maintaining the status quo to ensure their own survival. The critical realms, such as intellectuals who have potential to influence state-society relations, are excluded by the state, and thus corporate structures are consequently emerging in China as a substitute for coercion, propaganda, and central planning to maintain hegemony. Despite the liberalization policies and decentralization of state power, the state nonetheless retains its overall control by maintaining a bargaining position with the local state. In the liberalization of the economy, the corporatist framework shows that mechanisms are needed to fill the gaps where the government is freed up. The bridging effects of these associations between state and society are regarded as substitute control mechanisms for the state. The de-evolution of state power creates space, but not space for independent organizations. This is evident in the emergence of intermediary associations. The corporatist framework explains the dependent relationship between the state and associations, but also highlights a level of state co-optation of society. It is a relationship of mutual penetration, converging interests and co-optation. Yet where we may see corporatism as a reaffirmation of the state's control, corporatism can help the state to loosen its grip. 
That is, corporatist associations are shouldered within the traditional responsibilities of the state. Mass organizations such as the All-China Federation of Trade Unions are now responsible for delivering a substantial amount of social services to migrant workers in urban areas, for example. Regardless of whether the state is releasing or tightening control, it is perhaps wiser to understand its reality by seeing it as a shift from state management to state coordination of social affairs. Put differently, this transformation may be characterized as a shift from primarily relying on tools of coercion and propaganda to manage the economy and society, which we can call overt sanctioning, to one of tacit sanctioning, whereby it is a strategy of developing stronger ties with social organizations to enable the state to organize interests of society along the lines of reform. Underlying tacit sanctioning behavior are three main features of the corporate institutional framework at present day. And what we can argue is that these three features are as follows. First, the state creates and maintains the relationship. Second, your select organizations and groups are granted the privilege to mediate interests on behalf of the constituents to, uh, to the state. And third, these organizations and groups must adhere to the rules and regulations established by the state. The local state has proven to be a notable factor in the negotiation and renegotiation of the state-society relationships. The Chinese state is indeed shaped by local forces, and with the decentralization of state power, local authorities have a greater opportunity to interpret state-society relations within their own context. The importance of the local level is reflected in the trends of the corporatist literature, where meso-level studies have become increasingly important. The initial decentralization of the state's power, largely within the economic arena, has given local authorities the opportunity to exert their own influence over social organizations, associations, and other groups within their jurisdictions. A great example of this is looking at Bletcher's and Shu's study, which outlined the corporatist strategies of the officials in the municipality of Xinji of Hebei province in their attempts to establish the fur and leather trade in the two, early 2000s. The success of the Xinji case is a result of the local state leaders moved to pick a winner by providing them the full panoply of the developmental state levers to push that sector to prominence dedicating themselves particularly to the planning and development of an enormous industrial and commercial park for fur and leather goods producers and traders. While the local officials remain hands-off to entrepreneurship through indirect control, such as licensing, financing, quality control, and other measures, they're able to exert control over the private sector. Such strategies clearly suggest local corporatist state in operation. In fact, the Shinji case indicates that in picking a winner, there will ultimately be a loser, that industries without the backing or favor of local officials will lose out. Additionally, strong support from the local state would surely create fierce competition at the interprovincial level, where similar industries are also supported by other local governments. This competition prevents a truly corporatist state to operate as the local level is more concerned in meeting their own goals at the expense of the national. There is indeed evidence to suggest that local officials have been able to increase their power and control over resources and distribute it in accordance to their own preferences. 
What is evident is there's a fragmentation of the central state and a redefinition of relationships between local groups, where it can be associations or businesses um, and the local state. This is a result of economic coordination at the local level. The developments at the local level indicate that we should seek for concrete changes in state-society relations. The transformations that we are seeing in Chinese society, whether it's the re-emergence of religious groups or the increasing number of non-governmental organizations, reveal that state-society interactions have become far much more complex than ever before. Much experimentation is taking place with basic level organizations and institutions, which all makes for a very messy kind of China and one that defies simple categorization. The state corporatist lens provides the opportunity to assess the changes at the central and local levels of the state while maintaining a grasp on how social stakeholders are framed within these alterations. However, while the corporatist framework is appropriate for studying how state-society relations have evolved, the weakness of such a framework includes an overemphasis on the importance of the state. This is paired with an acute awareness that social, political, and economic conditions can alter the corporatist arrangements. This ultimately suggests that the corporatist framework ought not to be considered in a static manner. This concludes our lecture on bureaucratic operations and configurations. In our next lecture, we'll turn our attention to government and private enterprise relationships.